0: I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility podcast. We're at an exciting time in the mobility sector with new technology causing us to continually question the way we move both goods and people. My job is to talk to the people leading this revolution and to highlight the challenges and opportunities we face as we develop and implement safe, sustainable, and equitable mobility solutions. This podcast is brought to you by FEV. Check us out on LinkedIn or learn more at FEV.com. Today's guest is Brian Stevens. Brian is Creative and Exhibits Director for the Peterson Automotive Museum, located in Los Angeles. As you can probably already guess, today's conversation has a bit of a different flavor compared to usual. We spent some time talking about his approach to the museum itself, which I think is a fascinating topic. And then we also spent some time trying to put all of the current automotive advancements and the technology advancements in a historical context, which, again, is fascinating. Um, For example, you might be surprised to hear just how long the history of electric vehicles really is anyways I think a nice change of pace and a fun conversation so please enjoy my conversation with Brian Stevens today I'm joined by Brian Stevens uh, Brian thanks for coming on
1: sure thank you good to be here
0: so to start us off could you please introduce a bit about yourself and what you're working on
1: yeah I uh, as you mentioned my name is Brian Stevens I'm the director of exhibitions at the Peterson Automotive Museum uh, which is a uh, pretty large automotive museum as such museums go. Uh, We're based in the mid Wilshire area of Los Angeles, and um, we've been around since 1994. So a little, I guess we're on our way to 25 years in the not too distant future here. Uh, uh, And we're a, a museum that unlike a lot of other quote, unquote, automotive museums really looks at the entirety of the history of the automobile, uh, going back to the very beginning in the 1700s um, through the present day. And we try and keep keep up to the minute. So we um, work, we show exhibits of things that are happening right now and that are expected to happen in the future, which I think is something a little bit unique to us. Um, if you were to travel around the United States and go to automotive museums here and there, you probably find that a lot of them tend to be um, garages of cars um, that really sort of targeted one individual's sort of nostalgia for a particular period of automotive history, um, uh, that I think would predominate, but we, we, we're not restricted to any, any one story or any one period or any one subject related to the automobile. We will look at literally anything. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, we've, uh, we've uh, done hundreds and hundreds of exhibitions and unfortunately we're closed right now um, but we continue to put together digital exhibitions online and look forward to the day that we can welcome visitors back in i say
0: maybe for some context depending on when when uh, people are listening so this is recorded in early 2021 amidst the unfortunately the covid pandemic lockdowns
1: Absolutely, yeah. So we—it uh, is—it is now early 2021, and uh, we've been closed for the most part since since March um, to physical visitation. We had we had a, a week that we were permitted to open in the early summer, I believe it was, um, when we were lucky enough to be able to be the first public venue to show the Tesla Cybertruck, which was pretty cool. Um, but then we promptly closed back up again, and uh, and have been closed ever since hasn't stopped us from putting together new exhibits. We keep bringing cars in and putting them technically on display, although nobody comes in to see them. So we, we, everything that we show to the public has really been through, um, through the press and the media and, and through YouTube and that sort of thing. Um, but we're proceeding as if things were normal, even though there's nobody in the space right now.
0: Gotcha. And there's a, a lot that I want to explore here. I think uh, as we were talking before, it's, it's interesting. This is somewhat a, a unique uh, or, or the, the first of its kind in the, the podcast series here where it's been a lot of talking with technical leaders and the people developing and implementing the technology that's defining the future mobility. And this is a, a cool chance to talk about kind of some some context in and, and the past as well, which I want to dive into. But before we get too far, can you explain a, a bit more about kind of your, your background and role?
1: Yeah, as I mentioned, I'm the exhibitions director, which really is more of a managerial and planning type role. I'm responsible for, um, in general, conceiving of the exhibitions that we put on well in advance, um, scheduling them, although right now that's a pretty big challenge, Mm -hmm. uh, and managing a staff of curators and and content producers and and historians to actually execute the exhibits that we all agree are the ones that we're going to put together. So it's It's that's more of a a planning and juggling type role uh, than anything. Although um, my background is in design, uh, art and design, and I started at the museum back in 2005 as the exhibition designer, so I was focused on the creative aspect back then. Uh, And then as I worked through, it worked in that aspect over time. I started to get more involved in the actual content and the history and that sort of thing, and my role kind of became more in. I became more involved in the actual planning of the exhibits and the, and the content and the writing and that sort of thing. And it just kind of evolved over the last, what's it been, 15, 16 years or so um, to, to be, to be the, have the role that I have now.
0: Nice. And so the, uh, the, the world of design and uh, exhibit design, I I think is somewhat novel to me. Is there, is there anything in particular you can say you got kind of misconceptions or something that fr- from the outside looking in right we have these, these cool cars on display they they show up and they, they tell some type of story um, i'm guessing i don't have a, an appreciation for really what goes into making a an appealing and a, a attractive display is there anything you can say kind of that uh, might be unexpected sure. from the outside looking in
1: Sure, yeah, it's actually a fascinating thing. I'm, it's, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's. Uh, I think this, it, it appears to be simple on the exterior. Um, I mean, I guess a lot of car museums, there really isn't a whole lot of exhibit design involved, uh, particularly sort of less um, elaborate museums. Car. It's literally cars parked in a garage or cars parked in a warehouse, so there, you might not think of car museums and exhibit design uh, in, to, as a thing that would really go together. If you haven't been to the Peterson, you, um, we, our museum's a little bit more like the Museum of Modern Art in a way, uh, and we, we look at the car, at least we present the car as a sculpture or as an object to be, to be sort of contemplated from a distance rather than in mass. And, uh, and so we, we design our exhibitions in a bit more of an elegant way, uh, and a little bit more of a designed quote-unquote designed way, such as you might see at an art museum or, um, a science museum in some cases, that kind of thing. Um, if you walk into our spaces they are fairly simple uh in a way but there is it is a very very complicated process to to design an exhibit in a way that 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 satisfies all of the needs for us we want we want spaces that are not overwhelming we also want them to not be underwhelming they have to be approachable um they can't be off-putting um they have to be as as widely appealing as possible. We have have to create spaces that when a seven-year-old child walks into, they're not stuck on their iPhone playing a video game. They actually want to put it down and look at the things and read the things, if they can, that are in the room. Um, But the same thing, same time, we want it to be equally appealing to a 90-year-old woman who walks in, um, who sees something she never had seen in her entire life and is amazed by it and wants to learn more about it. And so, um, creating a space that does all of that is not as easy as one might think, and uh, a lot of it comes comes from many many years of experimenting with what what what, what works and what doesn't, and what people find appealing and what people um, really don't find as appealing. It's, it's interesting. One of the one of the more sort of debatable aspects of exhibits is the amount of text that you include. Um, a lot of real true hardcore historians have a propensity for wanting to tell a really thorough story and have chapters of text included because that's they want the history there. Um, But of course, when somebody's standing physically in a room, it's it's very different than reading lying in your bed reading a book at night. You don't really want to digest that much information while you're standing in a space. And also when there's that much more cool stuff to see around the corner. Um, So we, for a period of time back in the early, or actually probably the late 2000s, early 2010s, we did a series of exhibits where we um, wi- wildly changed the amount of text in the exhibits from a lot to virtually nothing. Uh, I mean, literally a sentence on a wall and a couple sentences per card just to see um, how people responded and reacted and if there was more or less satisfaction or interest given the different amounts. And we, we ended up learning that um, it's it's, it's advantageous to pare things down. That the, the, more, the more we write, uh, or if we write more, it does not mean that people will learn more necessarily or will stay and read it. It ends up in some senses being wasted work. So we've kind of refined, refined things over the years of experimenting to get just the right amount of information <laughs> at any given point about any given car, that it's digestible, it's, it's uh, not a thorough history uh, about any one thing, but it's enough for somebody to read quickly and then move on. Because we have 140 cars, on display at any given time and we want people to be able to enjoy all of them and then we also have what we call our vault which is an underground storage it's really a garage it's where we store cars that are not on display and we want people to be able to go down there and appreciate the cars down there too um, and that takes a lot of time and a lot of energy and stamina so we, 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 we try and we write our text we design the exhibits in ways that people can pass through them efficiently get the minimum amount for them to benefit from having seen the thing or read about the thing, uh, and then be able to still absorb more, I guess. Um, yeah, but <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> yeah.
0: It, it's, it's fascinating. And maybe it, it feels like a, uh, a little bit of a, a side tangent or a rabbit hole here, but I also think it's, it's it's relevant because a lot of, uh, so my, my background's in engineering and I think a lot of listeners as well come from the engineering discipline. It, it feels like a lot of these, uh, this approach or way of thinking at least, and I would imagine some of the processes and stuff you're following is not too different from an engineering discipline where you're, you're trying something, you're running experiments essentially and, uh, and trying to, over time to hone in on a, on a useful approach. So yeah, it's, it, yeah, yeah, it's, it's fun it to hear how you're thinking about this. It is, it does
1: sound very similar. I mean, another, a similar type of thing is just sort of the, the general nature of the museum and how we have, how we present things, I mentioned that we, we present vehicles almost as if we were an art museum in sort of a minimalistic way. And that's a result of finding that if we were to present cars in the traditional kind of nostalgic garage type manner, um, there is an appeal to a very specific demographic, typically male, a little bit older, that type of thing. Um, whereas if we kind of neutralize the aesthetic uh, and present things in a cleaner, more um, sort of art museum like method we find that there's a much broader appeal to a much broader demographic because we aren't we aren't um, we aren't pre-setting kind of a mood or a or a uh, or an era or a um, a vibe in a sense that that is associated with a certain demographic we're leaving things neutral for anybody to be able to to get the to um, to get into the subject matter, and it, we found that our our appeal and our responses from women have gone up dramatically. Our positive responses from women have gone up dramatically, uh, and and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's very interesting to see how it, how these changes in the presentation changed people's uh, reactions and ability to enjoy the subject.
0: Cool. So I, I want to uh, transition a, a little bit here and, and speak uh, specifically about one, one type of technology. So electric vehicles, right? So that's Something that definitely has, uh, it's a very relevant topic for anyone speaking about the future of mobility, it's taken, uh, been around for uh, some time in the public eye, but really is building momentum um, over the last couple of years and is becoming a bigger part of the culture and such. And I think it's interesting, or it would, would be interesting to hear your perspective, kind of how how we're trying to, th- or how, how you might think about electric vehicles in a historic content concept and then also trying to put concept or context behind uh what what this might mean for the the greater picture
1: yeah well it, it it's certainly a a huge thing right now there's no question it's kind of the the next big wave that's crashing over the automotive industry it's the the one of the biggest most pertinent subjects is the how things will be propelled what are the the um, mechanics of future uh, propulsion, what are the sources of power and that sort of thing. Um, uh, there are many outside driving forces obviously creating that change, but mm-hmm. um, but we, uh, as I mentioned, we try and stay relevant and, and showcase stories that are not just from the past, but also up to the minute. And so seeing this massive sort of sea change in the way that, um, that cars are being thought of and designed and, and, the, and the propulsion methods and that sort of thing, we recognized that we wanted to address that. And so we have, um, we have we have in the past and we continue to do exhibitions um, on electric vehicles and um and the way they might look in the future and then simultaneously we typically try and pair that with with the past of electric propulsion and um try and convey to people that this is definitely not a new concept in fact electric vehicles were very widespread early on in the automotive industry um, and actually did pretty well uh, and even had some pretty great specifications, the ranges and things of cars in the 19 teens and 20s were not too different than some of the ranges we're achieving today. Um, so it's fascinating for people to see uh, that this is not new technology, of course, it's being refined and rethought, but it's still not a new technology. And uh, we have a we have one of our exhibits right now, it's called Alternating Currents, the Fall and Rise of Electric Vehicles, um, which is meant to, of course, convey that electric vehicles were something very substantial in the beginning then they sort of fell out of favor and now we're actually sort of revisiting that now uh, at this time so it's we have a pretty a pretty decent amount of our museum right now is devoted to electric vehicles um, there's a focus on a Volkswagen as a you're aware uh, in particular because of their new initiatives to re- redo their company and with a purely electric focus and then we have a, an accompanying exhibit on the history of electric vehicles with um, about 15 or so cars representing the whole the whole history and evolution of electric cars over the last century plus and uh, I imagine we'll continue to have uh, exhibits on electric vehicles or at least ones that contain electric vehicles for for a long long time because that's going to remain a pertinent subject um, for a long long time
0: yeah that's it's, it's interesting and like you uh, like you mentioned I, I don't think there's a, a widespread ap- appreciation necessarily of this uh, this rise at the beginning and bef- before the fall and now the, the subsequent the subsequent uh, rise of electric vehicles so that is uh that is interesting so the way the way you guys have, have designed this exhibit what and i think you already touched on, on part of this but what are uh what are kind of the key takeaways you're you're hoping that visitors will get once this is back up and running and they can walk through
1: well uh we, right now we have the two exhibits paired together one is uh one that i mentioned focusing on volkswagen is just uh, Um, I think that the key takeaway there isn't is certainly to recognize what Volkswagen is doing Um, however also to recognize that when you get companies that big um, that for whatever reason are are really completely changing um, everything that they're doing wholesale that there really is the way I think about it is that the snowball has started rolling we're no longer in a period where this sort of electric vehicle technology is is experimental or kind of a a maybe it'll happen type thing, but when you get companies that big, um, that are adopting it, embracing it, followed by Ford, and I'm sure we'll see many more that, um, that's truly where we're headed, uh, in, in, we may not have finalized the the technology or the way that electricity is generated or the way it's stored, or even the way motors are designed, that sort of thing, but we're certainly headed in an electric direction. And I think, I think some people um, haven't quite realized that this is something that's happening. <laughs> they see little hints of it here and there, and they still think of Tesla as kind of a little boutique company that's experimenting with cars. But um, kind of the the general takeaway I'd say from the Volkswagen exhibit is that um, this probably we're probably headed that way <laughs> in widespread uh, in terms, um, starting with weirdly uh, really with Volkswagen and its initiative to to really change everything uh, to be fully electric. Um, and certainly, Tesla's had a massive role in, in this whole thing too. But uh, the the exhibit that we have paired with that, um, the our, our takeaway really is just that um, electric propulsion technology is not a new thing. It's been around for a long time. It's something that uh, people have been experimenting with for a long time. That it's it has um, brought about an enormous variety of vehicles over over time. Um, uh, in in with purposes you might never expect. We've got electric race vehicles from quite a long time ago. We've got off-road vehicles. Um, we have vehicles tailored towards women. We have just so many so many things um, that people might not realize uh, have come out of the the effort to to um, determine if electric propulsion was really the way to go over the last century, and uh, and also to recognize that um, it's always good to to. To look at history um, before forming an idea in your mind whether something is truly novel or not, um, take a step back and look at where the past and, and, and with subjects such as this, and you might find that there's more to the story than you might have otherwise thought. And um, I see a lot of a lot of people come in, and kind of round the corner and start seeing these cars, and they see a car from the 20s, and then they read the text, and they're like, they say, "Well, wait, wait, this is electric," and they call their family over, and they're like, "This." this is electric, can you believe this thing's electric? I had no idea. And they, this whole new sort of, every, this whole new world opens up to them uh, that they never realized. And then they see the whole room is full of electric cars that they never would have expected or knew about um, from, from the past hundred years. And suddenly they, their whole perception of where we are in the continuum of vehicle development just shifted completely. So I think it's amazing uh, to watch that happen.
0: That's awesome. And the next, or the the uh, kind of natural place where my mind goes then is kind of what's what's different, or what what are the main differences between an electric vehicles a hundred years ago versus what's uh, what's now? Do you guys get into much of that at kind of the the technology level about how things have changed or not so much?
1: We we touch on it a little bit. Um, we we most of our most of our our text really uh, is broader than that. Um, we don't get into the very specific details of motors and, and and things like that. We do talk about batteries, for example, um, uh, the way that batteries have changed. There are I think four uh, primary um, battery types the, over the last hundred years, and we actually have individual ones on display back from the original Edison batteries of the nineteen uh, the nineteen uh, uh, teens, which I believe were nickel based, if I remember right. But uh, there there was uh, and then there were shifts in the. In the uh, mid-century, uh, and then later in the late uh, 20th century, around when the GM EV1 came out um, with nickel metal hydride, and then onto lithium and other batteries. To today, so we do get into some of that and show examples of it, but um, we tend to address things. We don't get much more technical than than that. Uh, but one of the one of the interesting things that a lot of people are one of the things that a lot of people typically are interested to learn is that. Um, in the very beginning, electric vehicles were typically targeted towards women. Um, and if you look at the advertising of electric vehicles in the early 20th century, you'll see that there are almost always women uh, uh, depicted, uh, pairs of women, women with parasols, out out on a shopping trip in, in downtown Cincinnati or whatever city it might be that's being depicted. Um, and the reason for that is because electric vehicles didn't have starters, uh, crank starters at the time. Hmm. And crank starters at the time were seen as Something that required—I mean—it wasn't just seen as; it was a reality that they were there could require enormous physical effort um, and could even be really dangerous. I mean, they could kill you if you didn't if you didn't uh, if you didn't operate the crank starter properly. Um, and so, electric vehicles were seen as a much a much uh, much more civilized uh, means of transportation and one that didn't require such risk and uh, and physical effort. And therefore, they were marketed towards women. They even have um, Char- the, the chargers for the cars uh, even had sort of subdivisions where there were chargers marketed towards women as well. Um, ones that were, you'll see a charge the chargers back then, which would actually go in your home, believe it or not. They were home char- electric chargers Were these really elaborate, complicated sort of Jules Verne looking things with gauges and dials all over it and cables sticking out and they're they really wild looking. Um, but they made they even made um, chargers for women that were pared down and simplified. Um, for, for people that they assumed wouldn't be as sort of technically interested in all of the, the technology and all the different nuances and subtle variations and In, in uh, charging levels and things like that. It was more of a plug-and-play. You flip one switch And it and it, uh, and, it uh, and it charges the car all of that based on perceptions at the time obviously of, of, of What would be most appealing to the different demographics? But uh, I think that's one of the things people really tend to find interesting is that sort of the history the, the roots of the electric car although probably not in the very beginning uh, being tailored toward women, but it quickly evolved to be something that found favor with women and all the marketing was for women and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, that is interesting.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and you also, when you, when you touch on the, uh, the, the, the crank start, one of the things too, that is interesting looking at, uh, like I think you still have a, a supercar um, exi- exhibition on display. Yeah, We do. Yeah. So, yeah. looking at that, it's, it's, it's fascinating. You see a, uh, I don't know, a, a V12, four and a half liter engine that makes 180 horsepower or something it, it, like that. It's
1: exactly. It's really, it's really funny back in the seventies, uh, 60s, 70s, 80s, you have these massive engines, um, that produced very little, very little power relative to what they do today. now we're up over you a know, thousand in the thousands with internal combustion or electric, uh, propulsion.
0: Yeah. or if you go the other side and you want to match 180 horsepower, you can have a, a turbo three-cylinder with one and a half liter exactly. displacement or something, something like that which is exactly and, yep and yep. I, I think that's cool it, it, i think that speaks to so yeah electrification definitely a, a big trend and going in that direction it's it's great to see that clean uh well relatively clean depending on how how clean your electricity is but the, the clean mm-hmm. energy making an impact but it also i think that type of stuff speaks to how far we've come with the internal combustion engine as, as well because when you have a when it takes you four and a half liters of displacement and 12 cylinders to make that type of power that just think of how much, how many losses you had either at the power in the engine or throughout the propulsion system. Um, oh, of course. Rolling resistance. Efficient. Yeah,
1: They're exactly. Efficient overall for sure.
0: So yeah, that's, that's very interesting. How, how about, uh, how about vehicle exterior design? So I think that's, that's an interesting topic as well. That's obviously, I mean, I mean, that's, uh, obviously, the first thing you see when you look at a vehicle, and that often is what it allows you to uh, to place something in a, a given um, time frame based on the the shape and size and and function. Uh,
1: yeah, that's been an interesting th- thing for me to observe. Not even really in the context of the museum, but just watching uh, electric and hybrid vehicles come out over time. Uh, it seemed like there was a period in the '90s where. Uh, as companies like Toyota started to experiment with uh, with hybrid technology, they didn't really put any thought into making the aesthetics unique in any way. The early Prius, for example, wasn't particularly remarkable in the way that it looked, but it wasn't long after that that there seems to have been a, a movement to make electric and other sort of alternatively powered vehicles look distinctively alternative, where you start seeing the Prius with, the Prius started having a unique aesthetic, you had the Honda Insight, which was very... It looked streamlined. It had, you know, wheel covers and things. It had a very distinct aesthetic, and um, you could see that there was a, a thought among car designers, at least early on, that that if it has a unique propulsion system, it should probably look different. Uh, it should look unique. It should look futuristic in some way. Um, but then I think what I've observed after that, especially with Tesla, is that the the key to success was some kind of a balance between the two, where they had to backtrack away from that. And come up with a car that looked modern and elegant but did not look distinctly mm-hmm. futuristic and the Tesla I think ended up kind of balancing it pretty well and they eliminated the grill because it didn't need a grill. and the car is certainly a, an elegantly designed all of the Teslas are, are, are very or are, I don't know if you call them beautiful but they're they're efficient and elegantly designed cars um, that do look modern and for some reason even though the designs haven't changed they still look pretty modern to me uh, even though they're fairly old designs. Um, but they don't look outlandish. They don't look they don't look sci-fi. They don't look um, like they're from the future. Although the Cybertruck's a different story. Um, yeah. But the, uh, the 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 typical sedans and crossovers um, ended up, I think, striking a balance between the two. And um, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: that's a, a very interesting topic to, to explore as well. And I mean, it's it's just uh, speculation. But from my my external view, I, I think it has a lot to do with kind of the consumer adoption curve. So right at the beginning, you're appealing to um, to technology enthusiasts and people who want to buy an electric vehicle because it's an electric vehicle. So you make it look like an electric vehicle and you let exactly. status that they can show off they're driving an electric vehicle.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: But now you have, and, and yeah, I'll throw in the Audi e-tron looks like a normal Audi S- mm-hmm. SUV. The Jaguar uh, I-PACE isn't too far off from no. pace And I think you're seeing more of these larger companies getting into the, uh, you're going to drive an electric vehicle because it's an Audi and it, it happens to work right. well. Yeah. Um, but then now at we're the point time, where the ahead.
1: differentiating, the differentiating factor on a lot of cars now is even something as simple as a little color note, like Porsches that were electric or hybrid often just have this little kind of acid green, mm-hmm. uh, uh, color note on some of the badging and stuff like that. But otherwise there's really nothing to tell you that it's any different, um, anymore. But exactly. I think
0: the exception there then is in the electric truck market where oh, yeah. you have this established uh you have what people have been buying an F one fifty or a Silverado or a RAM for decades. And I, I don't think these these new electric startups or the, the electric truck really is going after that market.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: that's or at least that's that's my guess with the cyber truck where they're they're not trying to have someone who's always driven an F one fifty now drive a cyber truck. They're trying to appeal to someone who wants to drive a tr- Tesla and also wants to have a, a truck. Right.
1: But, yeah. It's just It'll so- be interesting to see what happens with that. Cause yeah, they're at the stage with trucks. I think that we were with the, the the Honda insight and stuff like that way back where they are trying to make them look unique. Like the Rivian, for example, is a little more truck like t- traditional traditionally truck, like than the Cybertruck, obviously, but it still has a much more streamlined sort of modern mm-hmm. futuristic look than your average, you know, Ford F-150. Um, And yeah, it's, it's be curious to see if the, those companies eventually have to backtrack a bit um, in some senses to appeal to a wider, to appeal to a wider audience, or if maybe there'll be an opposite adoption and people will start to find that, that modernity to be appealing enough that maybe the the traditional pickup truck paradigm will, will kind of go away. It's hard to imagine that happening um, because that's been around for, you know, a century. And I think there's, the idea of a pickup truck and its role and its its sort of place in in rural American culture, in particular, I think, is so uh, ingrained that's going to be a tough one. That's going to be a tough one to change. <laughs> um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. There are a lot of a lot of interesting electric trucks. We have a Bollinger uh, prototype at the museum too, which is um, another interesting design. Do you have We're one of the B one or B two? one. Yeah, we have the B one prototype at the museum, and uh, that certainly aesthetically is. It's really neither uh, traditional or nor modern. It's kind of almost just in. It's just sort of uh, mechanical, I guess, mm-hmm. in a way. In a way similar to some of the older Land Rovers and things like that. And it's um, austerity, but uh, but it, has, it kind of goes its own way aesthetically. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's a, a very interesting take on on where trucks could go, or or at least the way they could look. Functionality yeah. over everything. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd say overall, an, an exciting time throughout the uh, through throughout the mobility sector, and it has got to be a cool place from your perspective to be able to uh, to try to put all of this into a museum historical context and uh, oh, yeah. sh- showcase what's going on.
1: Yeah, it's very exciting, and there's new stuff every day. I'll, I'll sit down and, and open up Google just to read the news one night, and I'll see that a company has released a brand new car I'd never thought i okay. or ever heard of before, and so. Next morning, I'm emailing the company asking if they have any prototypes that could be, you know, given to us for display, that sort of thing. So there's new stuff constantly that uh, we're becoming aware of that keeps it um, ever changing, uh, which is really exciting.
0: Nice, yeah, and I think that uh, somewhat ties into kind of kind of a more changing the uh, changing direction a little bit. So a couple couple more personal type questions to close here. So the first uh, material you. Uh, do you con- tend to consume? So if, for example, if you, if you read, what's a, uh, what's a book that's had an impact or, or if, if not, then what, uh, what's something that whether you're watching, reading it, et cetera, that, uh, y- has had a significant impact on you?
1: I don't know if there's one identifiable title or sort of website that would have an impact on me, but I would say that from, from, for me, it's just constant absorption of, of, of what's going on, whether it's, um, watching blogs or, uh, listening to podcasts, um, reading magazines. I, I happen to use Haggerty insurance for a classic car that I own, and they produce a fantastic magazine about the automotive uh, history of the automobile and collectible cars and where cars are going in the future. And, um, it has a lot of sort of, um, uh, it has contributions from a lot of people who are influential in the industry. And that's that I, I do read consistently. A lot of other magazines like Magneto and, um, uh there are quite a number of them but it's just really being constantly immersed in the world of the automobile uh through many different media uh and literally keeping up every day um with with what's going on and and, and yeah just trying to keep up with it through what by whatever means so so
0: maybe then on the on the other side so i imagine there or there is enough uh enough content to to be overwhelmed and uh, there's certainly a lot of different angles about people talking about the automotive industry and stuff so how, how do you think about trying to, to determine what's uh, what's worth following and uh, trying to find that right balance
1: it's tough um, it, in terms of just following is one thing I mean I have my own sort of areas of interest that, uh, that I would follow I'm particularly fond of sports cars from the post-war era um, so I just follow that because it's my own personal interest but in terms of the museum and thinking about things that we might want to present at the museum. I'm always trying to think of what what subjects are interesting enough, not only interesting enough, but might have artifacts related to them that we could bring in. Um, you have to have sufficient artifacts to display to create an exhibit, but then is it also something that would, would draw people? Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of automotive subjects that uh, I might think are interesting that might not bring a single person through the door of the museum. So always considering what what would be appealing for people as well to come and see, what would make people want to come and see physical objects related to that subject. Um, and uh, and yeah, I was trying to keep that in mind. But one of the things we're working on now is a, an exhibit on hypercars, um, which we've been working on for quite some time. Uh, and that's just an example of something that we see it, it, we, we noticed that there was, it seemed to be kind of an explosion of boutique hypercars in the last, say, three, four years. Um, Supercars and hypercars have been around forever, but there seemed to be something going on in the industry in the last three or four years that we latched onto just by, just by sort of observing. Um, and then we realized that not only is this something we're seeing happening, but this is something that people would really be interested in seeing in person because these are cars that are produced often in quantities of five or less and, and often in obscure parts of the world uh, that people never get to. So if we could bring all of these really wild and crazy things into in, to one room for a period of time, that would be a really, really cool thing. So um, we've been working on that for some time. And um, the supercar exhibit that you mentioned is actually an outgrowth of that. It's kind of a prequel in a way to what we're hoping this hypercar is it will be but um, yeah, hopefully one, once COVID subsides a little bit, we'll be able to do that. That's an example of something we just kind of observed something going on and sort of looked into it and then realized there's something to this to to turn into a show. And then we've been um, really pursuing that quite a bit.
0: Nice. And and I guess tying in the earlier discussion, I wouldn't uh, I mean, I think you're seeing to the, the supercar, at least. Uh, Thought process starting to realize how, how cool it is if you can also incorporate an electric or electric power as some type of a hybrid type, or, or sometimes even full electric. But that's a that's certainly an an interesting thought as you're able to uh, utilize the low end torque that you you can't otherwise get with a, a conventional engine. So curious to see how that progresses over the next few years.
1: Yeah, we've and that's a huge part of what we've noticed is a lot of a lot of these companies are um, are either. Are either ad- or using the electric propulsion, the the uh, the widespread acceptance of electric propulsion as kind of the, the impetus for starting these companies and creating these hypercars because um, they're realizing the possibilities of electric propulsion um, that maybe they wouldn't have been so inclined to, to go down that road before this period. But um, also one of the things that I've found about when we've been investigating this subject is how a lot of the companies, these really small companies, are really on the fence about what they're doing. Um, I'll go to Europe and sit in the offices of a hypercar company that is building a car with a you know a V12 engine, and half the people in the room are are expressing very very significant skepticism that they're doing the right thing, and they're even telling me that they're thinking of scrapping the whole thing and going all electric. And then uh, I'll be in another company where uh, they're saying that they're building this electric car, but they really think they did the wrong thing, and they feel like to be a true hypercar, they really should have gone. All internal combustion, and then others are debating. I know some companies have been working on hydrogen, whether it's combustion or, or a fuel cell type things, and produced hypercar concepts, and then at the last minute, scrap the whole thing to try and go with battery. You know, typical uh, battery electric, and it's been very apparent to me that everyone is just trying to figure it out, <laughs> uh, and that there's there's a lot of these companies that are really not they're, they're they're experimenting and don't really know where things are going. So that's been kind of a fun thing to see, uh, when getting under the covers, uh, behind the, behind the scenes a bit.
0: Cool. And I'd say then the, uh, the last kind of, kind of real question I had. So this is, uh, about a, a personal strength of yours. So what, what is something that, um, either in your, your personality or that you, you've picked up a, a skill through the years that you think you tend to do well that, uh, enables you to to have whatever success or impact that you've been able to have in in your career so far?
1: Gosh, that's a tough one. Um, I would say in particular for my career and what I do now, I think um, really trying to see things from a lot of people's perspectives is helpful. Um, Being able to look at what I do from the minds of different, uh, or at least to the best that I possibly can, try and think of the things that I do from, from the perspectives of different demographics um and try and think about how different t- sorts of people might uh interpret or or um or feel about the things we produce and um, and use that when when really considering what we do um i think that's something that something that's been been useful is really having that sort of broad mindset and and trying to look at things from a wide variety of perspectives and and consider consider um all those that might be affected by by the work that we do.
0: Yeah, it certainly makes sense in, in your role. So, thank you, thank you, Brian. I, I really appreciate you joining, joining. This has been a uh, really really fun and uh, thought provoking conversation from my side. Um, I guess just just in case you wanted to give you the opportunity, if there's a uh, yeah, if, if there's any places, so I, I can certainly link to the the, the Peterson Automotive Museum uh, website and uh, but w- any other places or Things you recommend that uh, anyone listening to this check out?
1: Uh, well, it related to the museum, of course. Yeah, the, our, our website is great, and another thing um, would be that we have a, a YouTube channel now that we're really trying to push. Uh, and as I mentioned, since we we can't allow visitors into the museum right now, we're doing a lot of online tours. Um, that we've we've mentioned a bunch of exhibits during this talk, and a lot of those can actually be seen online for free right now um, through various guided tours of the museum on our YouTube channel. And um, we're also, um, we've started an initiative to, to bring people to various car collections around the United States and the world. So we're doing garage tours of, of people's significant collections. And so you can get access to to see groups of cars and things that you never would otherwise have gotten to see through these video tours. Um, so that's, it's, I think, a pretty fun thing. Uh, and we're adding more pretty much every day, so. Um, yeah, I think, I think
0: uh, people would enjoy that quite a bit. Yes, it sounds exciting. I'll certainly check that out. So, yeah, like I said, thanks again, Brian. Uh, really appreciate it and uh, hope to talk soon.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: The Future Mobility Podcast is brought to you by FEV. For more than 40 years, FEV has been a global leader in the development of mobility solutions for the transportation industry. With a team of experts passionate about innovation through the design, development, integration, and validation of turnkey vehicle and propulsion system technologies, FEV is your partner for the development of future mobility solutions. I'm your host, Brandon Bartnick. If you want to learn more or get in contact to share feedback or questions, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn at Brandon Bartnick. Thanks for listening.